We're more than nine months into the pandemic now, and we're into what are literally the darkest days of the calendar year, with winter solstice around the corner. As people are having to spend the holidays away from friends and family because of the coronavirus, it's easy to feel despair, defeat, and like you have no control. But a millennia's old school of thought is finding new light, and it could be the elixir needed for these dark times. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. What if I told you there's a way to shed stress like taking off a jacket? Uh, I'd say you're full of it. Okay, fair. But have you heard of stoicism? Sure, that's like the queen in The Crown, where she doesn't express any sort of emotion, despite what's going on around her. So yes, stoicism is often, you know, it's been misunderstood as a lowercase s, um, the stoic upper lip. That's Dr. Rangini George, a University of Toronto instructor who usually teaches writing and mindfulness courses, but has a course coming out next year called Stoicism and the Good Life. You know, the first time I actually heard someone talking about it, I heard the misunderstanding of it. You know, they, they they talked about stoicism as being unemotional and without feeling, but that's not what stoicism is. So the the stoicism, um, the uppercase, not the lowercase stoicism, the uppercase stoicism is a philosophy. It began way back uh, with around uh, 300 BC with uh, Zeno. He was, uh, so the story goes that he was, uh, he was wealthy and, uh, you know, from Cyprus and his uh, boat was shipwrecked and he it was carrying purple dye uh, and it and he lost everything in that shipwreck so the story is that really with that later on Zeno would look back at that moment which many of us would consider as a moment of great misfortune you know losing all our wealth uh, being thousands of miles away from home uh, and here he was shipwrecked in Athens. And, you know, guess what? Zeno makes his way to a bookstore uh, and he starts reading Socrates. And then he starts studying with other philosophers. So Z Stoicism really then began with Zeno. Uh, and uh, he, last year, I went for the Modern Stoicism Conference in Athens and I saw the Sto Stoa Poikele where he uh, the painted porch where he began teaching and it's um, they're excavating it and there's sort of ruins there. So I sort of stood there very nostalgically <laughs> looking down. Uh, but that's where that's where it began uh, with Zeno. And then it, you know, it, it carried on. Um, uh, the Romans adopted uh, Greek philosophy and some of the big names are, of course, uh, Seneca uh, and um, Epictetus, who was a freed slave um, and uh, Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome and one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so when I came across this book, which was published by uh, Donald Robertson, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. And I, you know, I was really, I, I've been working on a project on a memoir and it's a long story and I won't go into here go into it here, uh, but I was working on Antoninus Pius, who is the adoptive father of Marcus Aurelius. And so when I saw the title of this book, 
I was drawn to it because it had the word emperor on it. And uh, when I read the book, I, as I read the book, I was struck uh, by how much was being said here that was exactly what I was reading in Buddhist literature, uh, you know, by Thich Nhat Hanh. And I would say, oh my goodness, this is what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says. And so what drew me to Stoicism was really the resonance, um, you know, because Buddhism does not have to be a religion. Uh, it can be a way of life. It, it's really a philosophy. You know, the Dalai Lama has a famous quote. He says, you don't have to be Chinese to eat Chinese food. <laughs> and <laughs> to be Buddhist, uh, to use the mind training principles of Buddhism and how to live a good life. Dr. George, let's talk about some of the core ideas with the Stoic philosophy. If you were to boil it down to a handful of points, what would you say those are? So I begin with What's, you know, a, a story thing that I read this morning is that the purpose of life in Stoicism is really not fame and wealth. You know, the purpose of life is really the cultivation, the pursuit of wisdom um, and, you know, the pursuit of uh, virtue, excellence. And the four cardinal virtues of Stoicism are wisdom, moderation, justice and courage. And so when you, one of the things with the, the goal of stoicism then becomes this, it becomes this pursuit of wisdom. It becomes this cultivation of virtue. So things like uh, good health, things like um, wealth, reputation, you know, these become preferred indifference. So if you have them, well and good, but if you don't, um, it's, you know, it's not a cause of unhappiness. If you go back to Zeno's story, the fact that he actually lost everything. And so for a lot of people, losing all your wealth and being in exile thousands of miles away from your home could be a source of great suffering. It could also be a source of addictions uh, and despair and self-pity. Um, but instead, you know, uh, he took that, you know, it became, he became the founder of Stoicism. So the idea then is that it's not the events itself. Mm -hmm. And this is the core mm -hmm. idea that it's not the events itself that cause us suffering, but it's our judgment of these events. And mm. so that changes everything. <laughs> that really changes everything. And that changed everything for me with mindfulness practice and you know, with my introduction to mindfulness practice and how to train my mind uh, and Buddhism uh, many years ago. So because you know, often as human beings, we are very trapped uh, in, into what we want the future to be, um, what our past has been. And if you look at Epictetus's life, he was a slave for 30 years, for the first three decades of his life. Uh, and you know, hardly a situation, you know, that one would want to have. So I think the idea that you can actually, so one of the core ideas of stoicism is the dichotomy of control, that you can, you know, you look at, you look at something and, you know, we could do an exercise later if, if we have the time, but you look at things in your life that are causing you unhappiness. It's a very practical philosophy. You know, it's philosophy really as a way of life, not philosophy as abstract thought and theoretical 
you know, essays, but philosophy really as a way of life. When you look at things in your life that are causing you a lot of suffering, both at the individual level, um, you know, so maybe your childhood wasn't something happening in your childhood that causes you a lot of suffering. Maybe there's a, you know, a divorce or uh, ill health. Uh, and at the global level, of course, now we have this pandemic, right? So you look at things that you have no control over and you say, this is an external. You look at it and say, do I have control over this or do I not? Mm. And if you don't, it's an external. And the Stoics would then say, then you say, this is nothing to me. Okay. This is nothing to me. Uh, and you focus your attention then on what you can control. So to me, as you know, as I think of myself as, uh, you know, practicing Stoicism, to me, that would be recognizing as Marcus Aurelius, who lived through a time of, you know, the Antonine Plague, 14, you know, it was going on for, I think, 14 years, um, you know, and millions of people were dying. Um, there was this, and they thought that incense could cure the, uh, could cure the disease in some way. So there was a stench of incense and dead bodies. Uh, there were two wars. He lost half his children. So he was surrounded by the concept of death, uh, the fact of death not as an abstract thought, but as a reality, <laughs> the actual stink of, you know, of bodies, bodies and being on the battlefield mm -hmm. and the loss of his own children. He lost, um, you know, he lost, um, I think about half of his children, seven, I think. Wow. So uh, if I'm right, I'm not exactly sure about that, but, but he lost half of his children. And so the thing is that when you, when you acknowledge the fact of death, the fact that you will die, um, and then you make good use of your life every single day. So the idea is that when you wake up, you realize that it is a gift that you have woken up. Mm -hmm. When you go to bed, you realize that you may not wake up. <laughs> uh, so there is this... There is this emphasis on, you know, of mastering every single day of your life. Hmm. Uh, and so what you do have control over is your response to situations. Hmm. Um, is your response to the way you manage your time and life and your goals. So, you know, acknowledging. So one of the practices that I do in, in the morning is really looking at what are my core values, looking at what are my aspirations. So if my goal is the pursuit of wisdom, if my goal is the cultivation of virtue, um, you know, how, how is my life? How, how is my time? How are the things I do? How, how are my thought processes uh, in accordance with that? Mm. Uh, so there is this, there is this, you know, some people sort of have misunderstood. They say that, you know, Marcus Aurelius talks about death all the time. Well, of course, <laughs> you know, he's surrounded by it. But this contemplation of death is actually a very powerful practice. And, you know, the Buddha, in fact, says contemplate your death, not just every day, but he says contemplate it every moment. Because it's not actually morbid, but what it does give you is a sense of the preciousness of human life. And then an interesting thing is that even if you look at death, 
Socrates didn't think that to die was a bad thing. <laughs> so for someone else, it could have been a cat catastrophic thing, but for him, it was not. So this really sort of embodies, uh, I think, the whole idea of stoicism where really we have autonomy, we have control, and we do this by training our mind, which doesn't happen overnight, uh, but it happens through this, you know, this daily sort of uh, dying of the cloth, you know, of one's mind, uh, this daily practice. Um, and the other thing that I would, I think is sort of essential and uh, it may not be seen as essential, but at least for me, it's a very powerful practice and it's mentioned a lot in Stoicism is the idea of mentors. Uh, so the idea of the enlightened sage. So for me, um, you know, and this is a question, what would Marcus do? Um, you know, Donald Robertson in his book, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, he brings that up. What would Marcus do? I mean, the mm -hmm. title of his book is How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. So when I'm going through something really difficult, I tell myself, but, you know, Marcus is a human being. He's not God. <laughs> and the same potential that exists in him exists in me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, finding our role models whether in history, whether in fictional characters, whether in teachers, books, um, finding our role models and, and, and seeing what, you know, how do they face challenges? And, hmm. and if they can do it, I can do it, you know, with practice and with effort. Wonder if, if um, we can take the whole idea of, of stoicism, the, the philosophy of stoicism, and, and, and apply it to the to the lens of, or, or and take it into into modern life, into this this pandemic, which is affecting everybody. You know, uh, every single country, um, coast to coast here, in, coast to coast to coast here in Canada. Uh, I want to ask you a few questions, a few scenarios, and get and, and try to understand what the the stoic. Uh, response, the model Stoic response, because understanding that you know it, it's it's always striving and, and nobody's quite perfect in it. But the model Stoic response, the ideal Stoic response, would be to these things. So, um, I, I'm broadcasting from Calgary. They're facing a number of uh, of, of of shutdowns here in uh, in the in the province of Alberta. Somebody gets laid off from a job that, and they're unable to bring in an income that they had previously as of Sunday. What would the, what would the Stoic response be to that? Yeah, you know, as you, as you said, we're all aspiring Stoics, <laughs> so it's not perfect. Um, but, you know, the losing the job to me translates back to the story of, of Zeno, you know, where he lost his wealth and... And, but it became an opportunity. But what do you have when you lose that job? And what you have then is, yes, you know, you keep trying for others, uh, but you can't control the losing of the job, nor can you control the layoffs. You can't control the pandemic. Um, you can control wearing masks and all those things. So you can, and being socially distanced and being at home. But the, so you, again, you're looking at the things that you can control and the things you can't control. So if you've been laid off and you have no control, what you can do is then, you know, without a sense uh, of discouragement, um, and we all feel discouragement, but feeling it and then sort of letting it go and, and, and trying and trying, uh, you know, constantly to get a job. So you do that, 
But in the meantime, when you're not applying for a job, what do you have? You have time and you have your life. You have your precious human life. <laughs> So those are the things you do have. And so what can you do then with your time? And, and you may have more time than you did when you had a job. So you're looking at what you do have. Uh, and then I would even push it further. You know, I was born in Calcutta, India. That even our ideas of, you know, I remember time uh, when I was, you know, sort of worrying about finances and, you know, you know, class, I was expecting to run and run. And so those finances didn't come in. Uh, and um, and then I remember the poverty that exists in India, where people sleep on the streets, where people, you know, don't have enough food. So everything is relative. So, you know, realizing, um, realizing that it is still relative, that maybe even with the layoff, you still have, you're in a, you know, you, you still have enough food to eat, maybe more simply, but you still have enough food to eat. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you still have a home and you're not sleeping on the roadside. Um, you know, if you go to Delhi, you'll to parts of India, you'll see that. Uh, so then the idea of actually putting it into relation uh, with everything else. And I think one of the dangers of grief, of being laid off or an illness or any unfortunate event in our life is that our grief can become claustrophobic mm -hmm. and this is really key because I you know looking back at my own life when I had problems different economic uh, relationship whatever it was uh, when the grief becomes claustrophobic it becomes very dense and solid and it becomes unworkable mm. um, and I think at that point what we are doing through these practices what we're doing by saying that wealth is a preferred indifferent, health is a preferred indifferent, we're not saying that our happiness and our well-being hangs on that. Hmm. Well, so uh, and we're realizing that all beings, you know, even at that very moment, there are many other beings who experience that same suffering. If somebody is listening to this and they want to do one or two things that are very easy to do, what are some practices or ways for people to begin to take on a bit of a stoic mindset? So I would say for stoicism and, you know, and we're, we're talking about the philosophy of stoicism, S, uh, the uppercase S, I would say you have to read. Um, so, you know, uh, pick up Marcus Aurelius's meditations. I really like the Robin Hart uh, translation of uh, it's it's a really good translation of um, Marcus's Marcus's uh, meditations, and you know I'll plug in uh, how to think like a Roman emperor uh, because then you understand uh, what the philosophy is, um, you know. And I think so. You know, picking up two books. Uh, actually, these are the two books that I focus on, um, and then of course I draw in some others. Um, material in my course at, at UFT, uh, Stoicism and the Good Life, which I invite mm. people to join. <laughs> um, but um, so understanding what this philosophy offers us, um, and it can be as simple as just maybe picking up two books and sort of, and, and, and beginning there. And then there's a lot of material. Uh, Donald offers the four week 
stoic mindfulness resilience training. And I find that really interesting because I come from the mindfulness, the tradition, and you had John Kabat-Zinn, who was doing the stress <laughs> reduction mindfulness thing in a secular way. Uh, so here too, the stoic mindfulness resi- resilience training, and there is mindfulness in, um, you know, there is stoic mindfulness. So, um, I think, you know, understanding what the philosophy is connecting, you know, there are all these meetup groups, uh, which are free, uh, which are now actually, it's this online store (laughs) all over the world. And, you know, this goes back, Adam, to what you were saying, that this time has been unfortunate for all of us in different ways. You know, uh, my grandma lived in Calgary and I lost her this year with COVID. I mean, so all of us have experienced uh, different things. Uh, but it has, you know, looking at this difficult time, you know, with the holiday season coming, not seeing family, is what are the things we do have? People have asked me about mindfulness practice way back, and, and I say, tell them how it's transformed my mind and uh, my brain, <laughs> um, but I, uh, and my life, and brought in more happiness. And uh, I have to say, you know, stoicism does just that. It is extremely transformational. Um, there is a community. Um, it is uh, secular, <laughs> you know. It's a secular ethics, um, and um, so you will find many companions on this path, if if that is the way you you know. And I think that is the biggest thing about stoicism that it actually you know it makes you ask those questions. Yes, I will die. You know, <laughs> I will die. You know, the exact time of death is unknown, but I will die. So really, how do I want to use my life? You know, where do I want to direct my, you know, in, 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 uh, in Hinduism and all we say prana, you know, where do I want to direct my life force energy? Tibetan lunka, you know, where do I want to direct this energy? What work do I want to accomplish? And, you know, just maybe, I don't know if you want to, end with, you know, um, maybe just, you know, a contemplation that they could do on their own, if you want, or we could do it, is the idea is that really looking at your life, maybe, you know, a a stoic journal practice, where you actually look at your life, and you look at the things that have been upsetting you just this last week, and you list them. And then you look at them and say, are these things I have control over or not? And if you don't have control, however hard it is, you sort of, you try to, you know, maybe you won't stop grieving it, but you can try to just sort of let it stay in the room and not give it more and more energy of resistance and anger and despair. But you try to sort of see what you, what you do have control over. Mm-hmm. So it is a difficult time. I mean, you know, um, it is a challenging time globally. Um, and for many people, you know, even at an individual level in so many ways. But we yeah. share that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the wonderful thing that has, you know, in a sense, what Stoicism has always talked about. Um, and Thich Nhat Hanh coined the word inter-R, is that we are interconnected. You know, we talked so much about individualism you know, uh, self-reliance and and self-reliance is a good thing, but we talk so much about individualism and we try to see ourselves sometimes as separate from others. But the fact is we are, and and Marcus Aurelius has many beautiful 
uh, verses on that in the meditations, but we are interconnected. So our good actions and our good thoughts and our, you know, will have good consequences and will help others. Um, and so too will the reverse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I think, you know, stoicism, I mean, the, the pandemic has really sort of demonstrated that. You know, in India, we have this hugging saint and her name is Amma. And she says that, you know, the top story of the of building is burning and we are on the middle floor and we tell ourselves, no, it doesn't concern me. I'm fine. But the fact is, when you're interconnected, it does. And the pandemic has de demonstrated that. If you're interested in learning more about Stoicism, you can check out Dr. George's online course called Stoicism and the Good Life. She'll be teaching that at the University of Toronto. And if you want to learn more about philosophy, history, or literature, the U of T's Continuing Studies has many more courses about just that. This Is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay home. We'll see you soon.